Exodus means, literally means exit, and the book is about God leading his people out of slavery, out of bondage to the Egyptians into freedom. They had been slaves for 400 years, or the better part of 400 years, and God moves to set them free. And we finished uh, last week, uh, we finished up uh, through chapter 12 of the book of Exodus, watching how God powerfully liberated his people from bondage. But one of the things that we've been noticing is that this is not just a nice history lesson. This is not just a wonderful story that movies have been made about and worth reading for, for, uh, for the sake of the, uh, the drama that unfolds here. But this is here in the Bible for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it specifically says, this is in the New Testament, <coughs> excuse me, thousands of years later, when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing and said, saying to us, hey, that stuff that happened in the book of Exodus, that's for you and me. There, that was written for our examples. Because the things that were experienced by the people of God in the book of Exodus are the same kinds of things that you and I experience at a spiritual dimension. We may not be slaves in terms of some uh, dominating uh, material power or governmental power over us, but many of us know what it's like to be in bondage or in spiritual slavery to patterns, tendencies, uh, behaviors, ways of thinking and relating that like slavery, hold us back from the life we know God wants us to live, or we're, not worse, but along with that, push us into ways of living where we, that we don't want to go. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says that. He captures that perfectly when he says, giving us his own testimony, he says, the things I want to do, I never do them. I don't live the way that my heart longs to. I want to live according to the word of God in a way that pleases him, but I don't. And the things I don't want to do, the, way of, the ways of living that I don't want to be representative of me, that's what I always do. Who will deliver me from this body of death, he says, and I thank God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made it possible for those loops of bondage, those things where you find yourself just stuck in a loop to be broken so that we can be free to be the people God meant for us to be. So this is for us, God speaking to us, showing how he wants for, to lead us into freedom. And as I said last week, we left off with God having uh, in a remarkable way shown his, his mighty power to liberate. Now, the people of Israel, this is the first day, as we open chapter 13, this is the first day of freedom. This is day one of freedom. Now, when you've been a slave for hundreds of years, for generations, all you've known is slavery. You don't know how to be free. You can't even conceive of it. Your mind has no imagery to go on. There's nothing to imagine because all of that has been, has been uh, overcome by generations of servitude. 
And so they are in desperate need of having three questions answered. And so are you and I as we experience the freedom, the breaking of bondages in our lives. And we are on day one, so to speak, of learning how to be free people. We need these same three questions answered desperately. Those questions are, who are we? Where are we going? And how will we get there? And those are the things I want to talk to you about today. Out of God's word, beginning at chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, Then the Lord spoke. It says, Then, because this follows immediately on the heels of the Passover, and we talked about that last week, and in our microchurches, where the final of the ten plagues was the slaying of the firstborn of the every Egyptian household. Pharaoh had been so obstinate in refusing to let God's people go that finally the thing that broke that bondage was the slaying of the firstborn in every Egyptian house. A horrible event. But God had told his people, put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and lentils of your home, and death will pass by you. And such a beautiful picture of the cross of Christ and the shed blood of our Savior that makes it possible for us to be free. But now that they are, uh, that the, the curse of slavery has been broken, God says to them, Verse 2, chapter 13, Consecrate or set apart to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Later on, when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai and God begins to give them the the uh, ordinances that were governed their lives in freedom, the Ten Commandments and other things, and we'll get there eventually. When that happens, he will say, the, the tribe, there's 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of the Levites, I'm going to take them as my own and as a, a symbol of the fact that all of the firstborn of, of Israel belong to me. But it's important for you to note that God is ask, answering this important question, <coughs> excuse me, who are we by saying, you are mine. We are his. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And this is really important for people who want to walk in freedom because for most of us, our sense of self has been shaped by our bondage. One of the things that uh, I think I mentioned this uh, before, and I'm just old enough now that I tell the same stories over and over, so get, get used to it. That's just how it goes. But I think I've said this, but uh, I, don't ha I really think it's the mercy of God that we have in our uh, day uh, these organizations uh, uh, that are characterized by the 12 steps, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and so on, the 12-step groups that are sometimes called. I think that's the mercy of God. It's brought a lot of help to people. But one of the things that I don't like about them is that you never get past the point where you are the thing that brought you to the group, where you cease being an alcoholic, a shopaholic, a drug addict, whatever it is. And so you're always introducing yourself, hi, I'm Randy, and I'm a whatever. I don't believe that that's freedom. 
Freedom is when I am not that anymore. I am what God designed me to be. That's freedom. And when the people of Israel come now to day one of their freedom, God needs to help them understand you are not slaves. Who are you? You're mine. You're mine. That's who you are. That defines you. That is your identity. And there's three parts of that I want to explore with you. The first is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where it says, and you don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God has chosen you, dear one. He, you weren't just sort of thrown in the bargain and he got stuck with you. He chose you. And he did so before the foundation of the world. You want something that'll break your brain? Think about this. God has always been. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> I just, I, my mind just collapses under that truth. That God has always been. And will always be. And the Bible says that before this world was ever founded, he had already chosen you. Knowing full well the idiot you would become, he chose you. He chose you and he chose me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What was that price? The blood of the Son of God. He didn't pick you up on the bargain table because you were cheap. He didn't buy you in line at the, at the cash register because you were an impulse buy. No. You know, there's some things in my house that are more valuable than others. Maybe you have the same situation in your house. There's some stuff that I don't care about, some things I do. I have grandchildren, and so the things that I care about are usually at a higher elevation than the things I care less about. You're not one of the things that are on the low shelves in God's house. He purchased you with the blood of his son. When you know that, it changes your identity. I am not that thing that used to be the label stamped on my life. I am his. First John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, I'm not, not first John, John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name not only have you been chosen not only have you been purchased but you are family family Romans 8 16 and 17 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that means the Holy Spirit communicates to my spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, inheritors, inheritors of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 
We are God's kids. Look, I love your kids. Even when they're, you know, jabbering in the service and stuff like that. And I love your kids. I love mine more. And don't tell them this, but I love their kids even more. <laughs> You're God's kids. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are his. You're his. Free people need to know who they are. If we're going to stay free, we need to know. If we're going to stay free, we're going to experience the freedom of God, we need to know, I'm not that anymore. I am his. Because when you know that, and you are tempted to do the things that other person that you used to be did, you say to yourself, how in the world can I say that anymore? How in the world can I do that anymore? How in the world can I be that anymore? I am his. It raises the bar in your life. It changes everything. On the first day of freedom, the people of God needed to know who they were. The second question they needed answered was, where are we going? Where are we going? Have you ever asked that question? Where the heck am I going? What is my life about? Well, you're not alone. A lot of people are nodding their head right now because we all know what that's like. And it's even more so on day one of freedom because bondage has... <laughs> It's such a weird thing. Bondage is so horrible, and yet it's predictable. And there's a kind of perverse comfort in knowing that, well, this is what my life is. But on day one of freedom, all that changes. And now you need to know where you're going because that stuff is no longer dictating the answer to that question, where am I going? Well, where we're going is wherever he leads. Chapter 13, verse 17, Exodus. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. There would never be morning or night a time when God wasn't visibly leading them. They were never on their own, never alone to try to figure it out. It was never up to them to have to try to make their own way. God would lead them. But it says here, curiously, that he did not lead them by the shortest route. It was literally a matter of days to journey from Egypt to the promised land by the shortest route. But God was saying, you know what, I know better. I know these people. If we get there too quickly and they're not not prepared if I haven't had a chance to 
help them to learn how to be my people, how to relate to me, how to obey me, how to walk in the freedom that I've given them, they're going to be tempted to want to go back to Egypt because there are people occupying the promised land at the moment. And I'm going to deliver, I'm going to uh, clear all of that, all those people out, but they don't know that yet. They don't know how to trust me with that yet. So he led them around by the way of the wilderness. Now, you and I, some of the most perplexing things that we have to deal with in life is this question of guidance. What do I do with this? Do I buy this house? Do I take that job? Do I marry this person? Do I, all of these questions, what do I do? And the, the, when I am counseling with people or just chatting with people and this, the frustration that comes most often into those conversations and moments that we spend together will be something around guidance most of the time because it's a perplexing uh, question that we're trying to deal with. It doesn't have to be, but it often is. Let's just admit that. And part of the reason why is because we don't know how to follow the leader because we are fixated on finding the shortest route. Always. We always want to know what's the shortest thing, shortest way to get there. And perhaps you've figured this out. God almost never, almost never takes the shortest route. Why? Because it's always about the journey. It's all about that. It's all about the journey. And what we learn as we walk with God, what we experience as we walk with God, that's what it's always about anyway. So the destination is fine and dandy, but in God's from God's perspective, it's about the journey. So we often miss the pillar of cloud and fire because we're looking for the shortest route. But we have a God in heaven who will lead us and who does know the destination. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, your, your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. That means, dear one, that when you were just a mass of cells multiplying, gestating in your mother's womb, God was already recording your future. I have a, a grandson due on April 6th. The reason I know that is because he's going to be delivered by cesarean section. And I'm getting all of these uh, sonograms, you know, these, is that what they call them, those pictures? of? And I got one recently where he's got his hand up like this. <laughs> you see his face in his hand. I'm serious. It's like, I'm coming, you know. <laughs> it's fun. When you were that, when you were just in embryonic state, God was already planning your life. He already had plans for you, already recorded your future. He knows the destination. And he knows the best route to get you to that destination. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts, God is speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For, the as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
because you can't imagine how this other route gets you to the destination doesn't mean it won't. God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. He knows the best route. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, and this is such good news, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you. He will be with you every moment of the journey. So on day one of freedom, people need these questions answered. Who am I? Where am I going? And finally, how will we get there? How will we get there? Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Ah, why have we done this, that we should have let, or that we have let, the, let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He also took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Now we see the, you know, these pictures of these chariots and we think, really? Uh, that's just kind of a glorified cart. <clears throat> but really in that day, the sight of an Egyptian chariot would be equivalent to you walking out in the parking lot today and, uh, you know, a, um, uh, an Apache attack helicopter shows up with guns pointed at you. That would be the, the kind of fear, the kind of emotion that would be generated at the sight of an Egyptian chariot. And there's 600 of them bearing down on the people of Israel now. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. I think most of you know this story. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And then... As, uh, if we went on to read, we would see how after the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea, with the Egyptians following hard on their heels, God causes the waters to return, and the Egyptians are wiped out. God rescued them. So how will we get there? By his mighty power. There are no obstacles, dear one, in your way. Nothing that stands between you and the will of God for your life that he cannot overcome. They may seem like it. But God is greater. He's greater than every and any obstacle. And what we need to remember is what Moses said to the people on that day. First, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. 
In 1 John 4, 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God equals love. And then in verse 18 of that same chapter, it says, And there is no fear in love. There's God and fear do not belong in the same sentence, and they don't belong in your life. Together, only God. Fear has no place there. And you can make a choice about that. As, as Moses called his, the people of Israel to do, he said, don't be afraid. They already were afraid. So what was he asking them? He was asking them to stop being afraid. Dear one, you have a choice in that. When fear begins to overcome you, uncertainty and insecurity, there is a choice that can be made because that is not a spirit that God has given to you. That's what we just read. Don't be afraid. The second thing, stand still. Stand still. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> you just want to, I mean, you just, you get into panic mode and you just want to scramble around and try to find a way out of the solution, out of the situation. If you're the children of Israel, aren't you plotting some kind of way to escape the hordes of Egypt that are bearing down on you? I mean, if you're one of the Israelites, aren't you trying to plan a different... I mean, and it's, it's impossible because they're backed up to the Red Sea. They really don't have any choices. They're squeezed in. And you know what that feels like. And you know how hard you work to... Find your own escape. Don't stand still. In Psalm 147, 10 and 11 says, He, God, does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of man. Why is that written that way? Our legs are our strongest part of us. Horse is a strong creature. God doesn't take any pleasure in your ability to free yourself. It says the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Stand still. In Isaiah 30, 15, it says, For thus the Lord, says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Hebrews 4, 9, it says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Stand still. And finally, Moses said to them, See the salvation of the Lord. You know, you have, you and I, we have the ability to choose what we see. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not a proponent of just making stuff up or, or you know, just power, the power of positive thinking or the power of positive confession. I am a proponent of the power of God. But the power of God, if I trust in the power of God, that means I will see situations differently than people who don't trust in the power of God. 
People who don't trust in the power of God will see it one way. People who do trust in the power of God will see it another. And the way that we will see it is that this is the salvation of the Lord. And when you're backed up to the Red Sea and you have no options and it feels like the enemy is bearing down on you, choose to see the salvation of the Lord, not the enemy that's bearing down on you. He, Mark 11, 24 says this, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Again, I am not a proponent of the power of positive confession, and some of you don't even know what that means. But there are people that teach that, you know, if I believe God enough, that I can have what I say. So, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe God wants me to have a Porsche. <laughs> and it doesn't show up and you wonder why. I look, I, I'm not trying to make fun, but I'm trying to say this is about far more than that kind of stupid stuff. This is about trusting in God and believing that when I speak what's true of, his, of him and of his word, things change. And I can choose to see the salvation of the Lord in every situation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I reel into the realm of, of reality, I reel into the material realm things that are not yet seen by faith. I cast into the realm of the spirit by my faith and I reel in or drag into the realm of my reality those things that are true from God's perspective. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, on day one of freedom, and I don't know, whatever day it is for you today, maybe it's day 1,600, I don't know, but whatever day it is, if these questions haven't been yet answered for you, let it be that today you walk out of here knowing the answer to who's are, who are you. You are his. You are his. Where are we going? where he leads. How will we get there? By his mighty power. This is recording number 11147 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 1st, 2015. This is the fifth message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Lessons for the Liberated.